Please pray with me. Lord, thank you for this space on a Monday night that we can be gathered as people who are wanting to read the Bible and wanting to know what it says. And Lord, we pray, Father, that this would not be something that we do in vain, but that you would uh, reveal yourself, reveal your son to us, uh, open our eyes, open our hearts, open our ears, that we might receive what you have for us, that we might behold your son, Jesus, in his beauty and his glory, and that his words recorded in the, in the upper room discourse would uh, comfort us where we are hurting, that they would help us where we are struggling, they would correct us where we need correction. So Lord, be with me. Uh, help my words to honor only the Lord Jesus. And we pray that all of our, uh, the meditations of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight by your spirit. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So uh, we are entering Valentine's week. So um, to quote Jacob Wearson, my least favorite fake holiday. <laughs> I feel exactly the same way. Valentine's Day has never been my favorite. It's a, it's a week where our culture, and if, and if it's a joyous time for you, please don't let me rain on that. Um, <laughs> but I'm going to do it a little bit, I guess. Uh, it is a time where, uh, it's a week, a t- it's a week, because a whole week, right? At least, a season, where our culture sort of draws a line in the sand, to celebrate, I don't know what exactly, but love? Hallmark cards. Hallmark cards, yes. That we can uh, buy things to show how much we love people. Um, yeah, and that there are questions that come with this. And I don't know if you've heard these questions, but they're kind of rattling around in this, in this day as we approach it. Are you loved? Who loves you? Uh, to what extent? And if not, why not? And so this tends to be a hard week for many people. And I imagine um, in our class, just our demographic, it is a hard week. Uh, There is a recent recognition uh, in the medical community and psychology research that loneliness is on the rise. There's what's called, some people have called a loneliness epidemic. Uh, in 2020, it was recognized by the World Health Organization and the U.S. Surgeon General that loneliness posed mental and physical health dangers and even could be linked to early mortality. Uh, uh, this is a brand new within the last six months. Uh, I read an article about uh, a Gallup survey of, it was global, 142 countries And in their presentation, their findings, one in four adults reported loneliness, feeling lonely or very lonely. And uh, over half of the people, 51%, so just over half, reported at least feeling a little lonely. So it's pretty common, which is a little bit ironic, right? If you are feeling lonely, you are not alone. Isn't that weird? There's a lot of people who are feeling lonely. It has been as part of my story and, and continues to be. 
Um, the highest, according to this survey, well, you know, the research that, that this survey did, uh, the highest demographic reporting loneliness was young adults. 19 to, you know, to upper 20s, early 30s, um, which is maybe funny. So we can laugh about that. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, some suspect higher rates. And I, I read about a researcher who identified uh, why are young adults particularly so lonely and identified the idea of being in transitional spaces uh, where, where there's uncertainty in job, uncertainty relationships, uncertainty in defining your identity as an adult as, a, you know, as opposed to like the, your family of origin, the, the that you, family that you grew up in. And uh, there's also... The sense, the ever-present sense of social media, right, which presents to us all these rosy pictures of people's lives, which we then get to, if you're like me, then I compare the beautiful picture, probably with a filter, to what I understand is my true reality. Me without a filter, which, by the way, you're probably getting me without a filter right now. Um, Okay. (laughs) Thank you, Raven. Yep. Okay. So, I don't know, does that resonate with you guys? If you don't, if you're not feeling lonely, particularly this week, if you're not feeling lonely, you're probably in the minority, and you probably know many, many people who are. Um, There are many ideas, if you'd Google it, about how to research or how to reduce feelings of loneliness, and some of these may be helpful. So, don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that practical ideas to reduce Loneliness are, are bad. Uh, in our context, we're studying the scriptures, and uh, the Bible teaches that God created us humans for intimate fellowship with Him, and that is our greatest purpose. And correspondingly, it is our greatest loss the broken fellowship that we have with God, the infinite, eternal Creator God, that came through our disobedience to Him our rebellion against his good authority and that that fractured relationship. And yet, even still, we are created for relationship. We hunger for it. And uh, and yet in rebellion, in our in our you know hardness of our hearts and even just the living in this world that is fractured, uh, we seek to I don't know if you're like me, seek to feel seek to fill those feelings of loneliness outside of the one for whom you and I were originally intended, God himself. Um, not to say that chocolate and, you know, watching a show are bad, but, you know, uh, God has created those feelings of loneliness and, like, yucky grossness on the inside. Are There's only, actually, the Bible presents one overarching solution for that. Our loving, eternal God in the person of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who drew near to us. And so, unless we understand God, love God's way, biblical love, we're going to be deceived by what the world says love is. And we're going to, in fact, you and I, we breathe in this air. We have to unlearn what we've learned in many cases about what love is. And then let the Lord, let the scriptures inform uh, what is loving what does that look like to be in a healthy, loving uh, relationship? 
And the reality is that we're, unless we understand and receive God's provision of restoration and reconciliation in his son, Jesus Christ, I suggest to you that we will be alone whether we feel it or not. So maybe you don't feel alone or people that you and I know don't feel alone. And yet, actually, in the whole scheme of things, at the end of all things, they will be alone in a terrible, horrible way uh, that should cause your and my heart to grieve and to plead uh, with our Lord for intercession for them. Uh, Without the Lord, we will not be able, not truly, to satisfy our need for loving relationships and fellowship apart from God. So loneliness is not fun, but it is a part of being human, I think, because just that's what the Bible presents to us. We're, we, apart from God, we are, uh, we are alienated. And even though God has moved toward us in Christ Jesus, uh, we still live in that now, even those of us who are believers, we live in this now and not yet where, Uh, We have the person of the Holy Spirit, God himself, coming to dwell inside of us. And yet we live in that now and not yet time where we we don't see everything subject to the Lord Jesus. Um, God loves us too much to allow us to find true peace outside of him. Uh, So we are made to love and be loved. And in our passage, passage tonight in John 14... We get to really focus on that. Jesus is teaching his disciples what love looks like. And Jesus promises his disciples deep intimacy, loving intimacy with God and with him through the Holy Spirit. And I think that we can learn um, as we study, we can learn many things. Here's one thing (laughs) hot off the press that I think we can learn. Uh, Jesus' mission lovingly restores believers to full fellowship with God. So, so many things we could learn in this passage, and it's so beautiful. Uh, But let's open our Bibles, and we will get started in this, because I know we're going to pancakes await. So, so, uh, we're going to be in uh, John 14, 15 to 31. And um, this is not, did you sense this as you're reading it and have your discussion? This is not a linear argument. Uh, Jesus does not always comply with our... Our liking of linear arguments. So this is a little bit artificial, this division into two segments, uh, because there are so many themes. It's almost uh, symphonic, maybe, or musical. I'm looking at Dimitri. Yeah. Um, So we're going to see in verses 15 to 26, we'll look at Jesus' promise provision and some other things. I don't know. I'm wrestling with that title. You can... Think about it and like, tell me what you think it should be afterwards. Um, and then the second division, 27 to 31, Jesus' departure and how that fits into God's mission. So that's where we're going to go. Uh, open up your Bibles or turn them on. Uh, if you don't have one, there's probably one in the pew Bible ahead of you uh, on in the pew. And someone can help you find where John is in the Bible. Or you can look at the table of contents. We're going to be in chapter 14. And so just remember where we are. We are after Jesus' public ministry has concluded in chapter 12. And now Jesus has withdrawn and he's in the upper room with his disciples. He started and he is showing the fullness of his love to them. Uh, 13.1. Jesus had told these disciples that he's leaving them and they're not able to follow 
him at this time. And they were probably feeling terribly lonely and confused and sad. And he is using these last hours before he goes to the cross to prepare them for what is coming ahead. Uh, Most of it they probably don't understand. And it would go right over their heads. But they would understand later. And just actually to point uh, to a verse on that. uh, This is a little bit out of context. But I think the same principle applies. John 12 16. This is what John's narrator is telling us about Jesus' uh, triumphal entry. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. And so that's kind of Jesus is telling these things first, and it's, he's not really, it seems, expecting them to get it, but he's providing actually the re, in here, he's pointing to the promise, his promised provision of the Holy Spirit who would come and dwell inside of them and help them understand uh, all these things, especially as uh, these would be his 11 apostles to send out. How do you and I know who Jesus is and what he said? It is based on, I suggest to you, my friends, the apostolic witness is very important that the Holy Spirit came and indwelt these apostles that their witness could be recorded for us and that you and I can, can trust that this is what uh, it, Jesus, who Jesus is and what he actually said. Okay, so let's uh, move on. Where are we going? Oh, great. We're in the upper room, 13 to 16 chapters. Chapters 13 to 16, he instructs them. Uh, 13, Judas was the betrayer was still there, but starting in chapter 14, where we are, he, we, he is alone with his disciples. And then in chapter 17, he prays for them. So that's kind of where we're going in the upper room discourse. We're right kind of smack in the middle of it right now. And so we'll see Jesus preparing his disciples for hard things. We saw that last week. And he's preparing his disciples also for beautiful things. I think there's a lot of beauty. It's hard beauty. But there is a lot of beauty in our passage. So, okay, let's look at these, uh, this first section, 14, 15 to 26. And uh, these three parts are also not linear. There's three parts in this. Uh, Jesus preparing his disciples, promising his provision. He's encouraging them to be faithful keepers uh, in relationship with him and on mission for him. And so in this division, I suggest to you there's three parts that are not linear. The first part is a sandwich. Uh, it's kind of the outside of a sandwich. This is ancient minds often, ancient authors often did this, where you'd put a beginning and a closing, having the same theme. And then the inside is kind of uh, sort of ex- is just explaining more about these outside bit parts. And so 15 and 21 are... I suggest to you, or could be the the outside, the bread in this sandwich. And then 16 to 20 is the inside part. So probably the more important part, if we could say that about any of Jesus' words, um, on the inside. But then after that, 23, I'm sorry, no, 22 to 26 is an expansion through a question and answer. So in the, the, the outside part... Uh, 15, verses 15 to 20 and 21, Jesus talks about the call, the costly call of being his 
disciple. Uh, Loving Jesus means faithfully keeping his words. Uh, True love for Jesus will manifest itself in watchful attention to his words. Jesus says in verse 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And uh, 21, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me, or he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. So there's many echoes of, if you know Deuteronomy, uh, there's many echoes of this, uh, the loving and the keeping, uh, faithful attention. And that makes sense. We've seen Jesus doing Moses kind of things early in the Gospel of John, showing that he is the greater Moses. He is the greater lawgiver and the greater one who will lead the people into the Exodus, not just from physical slavery, but from uh, death and sin and everything that harms us. And so loving Jesus, we can see manifest in careful obedience that you and I would do what Jesus commands. And notice Jesus isn't talking about earning a loving relationship. We don't love, we don't obey his commands so that we can love him or so that he would love us, but it's rather he's telling us what uh, love does. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Um, so loving Jesus means obeying. And that's where we start. And many of your translations might have have that rendering loving. Uh, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. And that and that's a faithful translation. But I suggest to you, uh, there's that the Greek word that's under that that has been translated obey or keep has a broader sense, has more of a covenantal sense. So uh, that it's it's more than just obeying. Think about it. If these eleven uh, disciples who would become apostles had just lived obediently about their own personal lives, or even collectively, all the yous in this section, by the way, are in the Greek y'all, um, where would we as modern Christians be if they had not done more than just personally themselves lived a pure and righteous life before the Lord, um, empowered by his spirit? Uh, Jesus is entrusting his ministry to them. And so, uh, as we see in Acts, how these disciples slash apostles went on mission for Jesus, uh, Jesus had entrusted them with something. His words are a deposit for them to guard and keep and observe. And so, obeying, observing, keeping Jesus' words means becoming aligned with Jesus' mission, dedicating and aligning their whole lives to his mission. And we see that is likely what they did in the book of Acts. Um, All of these men proved to be those who did love Jesus because they they kept his words and commandments uh, guarding. Uh, They were vigilant not to forget his words or let them be corrupted. Keeping, which means stewarding his words and sharing them with others, teaching others to rightly interpret all that they had been entrusted to them. Uh, the Great Commission at the end of Matthew is also another description of Jesus uh, entrusting his mission in this way to his disciples. And so it implies an exclusivity. If you're going to love Jesus and obey or keep his commandments, it means that you're also not loving one of Jesus' rivals 
or this isn't a part-time job where you get, you know, we're going to obey Jesus some days and then on the next days, then, you know, we, we don't do that. Um, so that is a great cost. Loving Jesus does come at a great cost. Uh, but look at the relational blessing that Jesus gives to us at the end of uh, 21 as he goes on at that uh, 21b, uh, and he who loves me will be loved by my father and I will love him and manifest myself to him. So there's intimate with fellowship with God, the father and God, the son, which is what I suggest to you our hearts long for the human heart longs for that. Um, it's like he has put, you know, there's that verse in Ecclesiastes, always tricky to quote Ecclesiastes, but you know, where he, uh, God has put eternity in men's hearts, human hearts. And it's almost like that same. And I think I can't remember what its church father said this, but like he has made our hearts so that they are restless until we find our rest in him, that they, we cannot be satisfied except by an eternally big. That's how big the hole is in our hearts. It can only be filled by the eternal God. The infinite, eternal God. Okay, so uh, there we have the outside of that. Um, there's the, the call or just the reality of uh, loving Jesus. We're going to be on mission for him. Um, uh, and the in part, uh, inside part, the sandwich, 16 to 20, is really the provision. Because uh, by this time, whether we're thinking just about these uh, clueless disciples at this point, and even the questions that they're asking in the upper room are like, are you kidding me? (laughs) Did you hear anything that Jesus says? Um, We should have a healthy skepticism about the ability of the disciples or anyone to be able to keep and obey and love Jesus uh, during his physical absence. And so uh, we can see here Jesus promises, and this is probably the heart of this passage, and probably I hope you t- talked a fair bit about this in, um, in your groups, that uh, Jesus is promising to ask the Father and that he will give to them his own, Jesus' own, uh, the Holy Spirit to be not just with them, but to be abiding in them in a, in a forever kind of way. Uh, yeah, where does he say that? Uh, yeah, verse 16. He will give, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper. Could also be, it's a tricky, we don't have an English word that's quite the equivalent. Uh, an advocate, a counselor, a comforter, helper, all these things, uh, with especially a legal context. Like somebody, you know, we would need a legal advocate to go into a court room. It, it, it has that. He will give to us another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will leave you, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. That's probably the core of this section. So if you're an underliner in your Bible, that's probably a verse to underline. Um, We feel bereaved, the word orphan, by the way, uh, now you know a Greek word because the Greek word is orphan, orphanos. And so now, now you can say, you know, Greek word, um, I will not leave you as this bereaved in this bereaved state. Jesus says, I will come to you. And, uh, this is, you know, when is that coming? 
it is it probably it could be um, most soon in where this is that he was when after his resurrection he came to many and gave proofs that he was alive and then it also could be at Pentecost and uh, that's in Acts 2 50 days after his resurrection when the Holy Spirit came down it's recorded in Acts 2 did I ever say that and then it also could be pointing to uh, the end of time when Jesus returns for his own, as he said in verse 3 of chapter 14. So, um, anyway, uh, let's see here. I kind of lost, lost where I was. Okay. Um, we were in uh, verse 18. So, um, Jesus then is, is helping us to understand, helping the disciples understand that they weren't going to need to do this hard work, loving him, obeying him on their own. They can't. The Old Testament testifies that humans can't do that. And we've seen the, the disciples in John prove to be uh, clueless and weak. And so the disciples uh, needed, Jesus knew, God's very own person living inside them, softening their hearts, shaping their wills, developing their understanding to align with God's new covenant reality that he uh, had prophesied in Jeremiah 31 and Ezekiel 36. And so this one, um, the, the counselor, by the way, that he's talking about, the advocate, is not like uh, a personal trainer in the sense where you set the goals, you, you're like... I'd like to be able to bench press this or lose this many pounds. Um, rather, no, this is, he is God's representative. And he is helping not us accomplish our mission, but aligning our hearts so that we are a part of Jesus' mission and what he's doing at our point in redemptive history. And uh, this in points to this, uh, the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, which even though Trinity is not a word that is found in the scriptures, the church has long recognized that the Bible reveals that God is one. He is one. Triune actually means three in one. So he is one, and yet he exists in three persons, uh, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And each are fully God and distinct, but work with one mind in all things. And so here we see the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, is called the Spirit of Truth, which suggests that he's characterized by truth. He communicates truth. In verse 26, uh, Jesus calls him the Holy Spirit. Uh, He is characterized by holiness. He instills holiness. And there is a sharp contrast here. So just as we've seen Jesus talk about his sheep and sheep who are not of his flock, uh, those who are, have their father as God, his father, and those who have another father, meaning Satan. There, there's, a, there's two groups of people, and it's a bifurcation. There's not an in-between. And he's saying that the world, those who reject God, they cannot receive the Holy Spirit or know him. And versus the disciples who already know the spirit of truth, uh, they do receive him and they will recognize and cooperate with his work. But, and even though the Holy Spirit was already at work teaching them, regenerating in the old covenant, the Holy Spirit was readily available and present, present because no one could obey God. No one could believe in God. 
No, it still cannot, apart from the work of the Holy Spirit. And yet his ministry in the Old Covenant was selective and temporary. And Jesus here is speaking uh, in somewhat figurative language, but definitely speaking to a new phase of relationship in the New Covenant, that the Holy Spirit would now be in believers permanently and providing a fellowship with God even closer than than they had experienced in the physical presence of Jesus even closer than that. And God's timing for this happened at Pentecost. Um, Okay, so then in this last section in the division, 22 to 26, really focuses on the blessing that loving Jesus and being on mission for him, being filled with the Holy Spirit has profound relational implications. And so in verse 22, Judas, not Iscariot, Ask a question, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not the world? It seems like Judas kind of maybe stopped listening until, you know, he was answering a, a, like a question about verse 19. Yet a little while and the world will see me no longer, no more, but you will see me. And so Judas asked this question. Uh, it seems like that um, Jesus' answer, does that feel, it feels really weird to me. You're like, does he actually answer the question that uh, Judas asked? I think he does. It's just not directly. Jesus is answering him in a way to show that um, Judas, not Iscariot, just like all the other disciples, probably anticipated that Jesus' kingship, his kingdom, his coming, was a physical reality that they were going to experience imminently versus a spiritual reality. And uh, so Jesus, to answer this, go back to what he has said and makes the contrast more clear. So let's read uh, 23 and 24. Um, And the key is in the unstated opposite, I suggest to you. So 23, uh, he's drawing a distinction between the believers and the world. Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my my word and my father will love him and will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the father's who sent me. So you see there in the middle of 24, uh, whoever does not love me does not keep my words. There's almost an ellipsis there. He's not saying the opposite of what he said here. My father will love him. The implication is that the father won't love the world in that same way. And that, uh, Jesus and the Father will not come to those who have rejected Jesus. They will not make their home with him. Does that make sense? Uh, It's sobering, but the Holy Spirit, the comforter, the advocate, God himself is not available for anyone who rejects the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, A holy God cannot, will not, Come to indwell someone who, in very nature, is stubbornly disobedient and defiant against God's spiritual cleansing in Jesus Christ. To see more of Jesus, to be drawn up into the intimate relationship with the Father, Jesus and the Holy Spirit is only for those who have believed and received Jesus, seen him, and heard his words. These get more, and Jesus goes on. Uh, 25 and 26. These things I have spoken to you while I'm still with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. 
Progressive revelation is only possible where obedience exists. They will have more revelation and greater understanding. Who is going to see the full glory of Jesus? Only those who receive him as laid out in the prologue, chapter 1, verse 12, and I think going to 15 or 14. Um, and so, okay, let's, uh, principle for this uh, division. What is the principle for this division? Um, Jesus uh, draws his disciples further up and further in. Jesus draws his disciples further up and further in. What Jesus does with his father's words is parallel to what Jesus tells the disciples they will do with Jesus' words, words from the father. So as the father goes, so do his followers. What has Jesus done with his father words, father's words? He's kept them. Uh, he's obeyed them, he speaks them, he understands them, and now he's entrusting them to those whom he loves and sends out in his name. Uh, keeping Jesus' words faithfully means also preserving them, teaching others, helping others interpret them correctly. And in that, Jesus is drawing his disciples further up and further in. It just is mind-blowing, is it for you, that God himself, the mystery of the eternal, infinite, loving, and good creator God, would say, we want D to come and be a part of this fellowship. We want Luke. We want Alyssa. We want Dimitri. We want Madeline. We want Christian. We want all these in our fellowship. That you, like, that is so mind blowing, friends. The mission that God has for us helps us see, I hope, that just to glimpse it, that the loneliness and dissatisfaction that we feel right now, which is temporary, this is a short part of life, my friends. There is a longer part of life, yes, of being with the Lord and enjoying his fellowship forever. How does that strike your heart? What's your response to that? What God is preparing for you. How does that help you to do the hard things that he is calling his true disciples to do? Is to love him. And love him in ways that probably hurt and cost. And force us to wait. We have to wait and trust that he actually is going to do this. To be in a group of com- people who are actually say, even though it sounds crazy to the world, and sometimes you, I don't know if you're like me, you think like, do I really believe this? Like, Jesus is going to come back. And he's going to rescue us from everything that crushes you and harms you. And the sin in outside and in, the death that has devastated your family, the cancer that has riddled your body, he is going to free you from all of that and free you for himself. He draws us up, further up and further in. Um, Okay, I'm just looking at my time. I guess I probably don't have time to go through the next section, do I? Um, Jesus explains how his departure fits into God's mission. And how about I just say this? Here's a principle. Um, Jesus must prove to the world that he loves and obeys the Father 
His greatest delight was to do the Father's will. That's what he's drawing us into, friends, that are yours and mine by the Holy Spirit's transformation of us that our greatest delight would be actually to pick up our cross daily and follow Jesus to do the, do the Father's will, um, even though it was hard. Okay, uh, a principle I think for the last section is Jesus uh, talks about his larger mission and peace. Let's just talk about that verse. Um, how about that? Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives, do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Verse 27. That's actually the only direct command in the whole section. Let not your hearts be troubled. Let them not be afraid or could be rendered fear, uh, cowardly. Uh, Peace is not the absence of trouble, but the presence of God. Peace is not the absence of trouble, but the presence of God. Uh, my dad is great at fixing things creatively. And so when in the course of my life, when I've had a problem, a uh, flat tire, my, you know, I don't know, I didn't know how to file my taxes, just problems, I know that I can call him and he might not fix it immediately, but I know that he's on it. And that gives me peace. How much more friends are Heavenly Father, who is perfect, that peace is not the absence of trouble, but the presence of God. God sees you. He sees the situation that, you in, that you're in. If you're discouraged or overwhelmed, that there are things that are hurting you and oppressing you, uh, where do you go? God sees those things, and he has a plan to correct them. You and I never have to feel abandoned or helpless in this life because we've given the Holy Spirit who communicates to us Jesus' love and comfort now and also is a deposit guaranteeing our future inheritance that he is giving us the fullest peace. Um, where, do you, where do you choose to go when you're lonely? Seek Jesus' presence. Will you go to his word? The word of God is the only true comfort for our souls. Let him remind you and me who he is, that he is holy and almighty, that he is totally control, in control, that he is kind, that he is a kind and loving father. Um, will you ask him to help you know how to pray? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this time that we've had together. Thank you that of... Um, how you care for us, how you love us, how you provide for us, how your plans for us are far greater than what we can fully understand. Uh, Lord, would you help us respond in loving uh, faithfulness, not only this week, but also right now as we go in fellowship, but also uh, use our hands to serve those who are unhoused. We pray for them and we pray for us, that uh, you would be glorified in all things. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.